Hello, friendly listener. This is Nick from Garbage Pod, which you're currently listening to. This is just a quick content warning off the top that if you know the apartment, you know that it deals with themes of suicide and self-harm, which are depicted on screen. Just want to give anybody who is uncomfortable listening to those topics a heads up, as we don't want to surprise you with that. I hope that you enjoyed the episode, and I uh, love you. show that seeks to prove that arty and trashy movies have a lot in common and you don't need to enjoy just one or the other so we will take our movie of the week and pair it with something artier or trashier and hope that you discover an unexpected new favorite or at the very least are entertained welcome to episode 79 i'm nick one of your hosts and with me as always is the apartment key to my executive bathroom key aaron is here hi aaron hello flush i <laughs> Gross. <laughs> just, it's just starting out with some toilet humor. That's just all. Just gonna try it out and see how we like it. <laughs> Technically, I guess an apartment has a bathroom contained within it. So mm. an indirect bathroom key. That's what I think of my keys as. <laughs> when I'm like, ah, I've got my apartment key here, or as I think of it, <laughs> the key, the key that... to my bathroom. Technically. <laughs> uh... How are you? <laughs> You just seemed so beleaguered immediately this time. That's good. That's a good start. Good start. Yep. It uh, goes well with the mood of our movie, I think. <laughs> Does it? Well, let's uh, decide that now. Because as you can clearly tell from this opening banter, we are talking about 1960s The Apartment. Whose apartment is this, anyway? Some schnook that works in the office. I don't like to complain, but you were supposed to be out of here by eight. Those things don't always run on schedule, like a Greyhound bus. Same accidents. Well, you get the key to one guy, you can't say no to another. The whole thing got out of hand. Pardon me. Should have stayed in bed this morning. You should have stayed in bed last night. Sure, just because I wear a uniform, that doesn't make me a Girl Scout. As far as I'm concerned, you're tops. I mean, decency-wise and otherwise-wise. <laughs> so you're pretty good with that racket. You should see my backhand. I love you, Miss Kubelik. Jack Lemon. Shut up and deal. Shirley MacLaine. Where we go, my place or yours? Might as well go to mine. Everybody else does. Same year as Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> you went through a phase for a little while where you were like, could only... Everything was compared yeah. to the year 1960, <laughs> the year that Psycho came because out. Because it was when Psycho so came like... out. Uh, so what's the apartment, you might be asking? Well, it's a holiday-ish rom-com. Yeah. Holiday backdropped rom-com, let's say. We are following mild-mannered C.C. Baxter, who's been working at an insurance company for close to four years. He is one of 32,000 employees located in their Manhattan head office. It's a nightmare. Uh, (laughs) Where he distinguishes himself from all the other cogs in the company by working late, but mainly because he can't get into his apartment, which is just off of Central Park West and is being used by a handful of company executives on a rotating basis for their extramarital liaisons in return for a good word to the personnel director to help him climb that corporate ladder, who is uh, Jeff Sheldrake. It's a good... Jeff. Yeah. You don't get a lot of Jeffs in older movies. Yeah, I tend to think that's like that name came around in like 1982. Yeah, Yeah, earliest, yeah. Early Jeff in the canon. <laughs> uh, but when Baxter is called into Sheldrake's office for what he thinks is going to be a promotion, it turns out that he's adding Sheldrake to the roster... 
for the apartment a fair use so uh, the director can meet with Baxter's crush, the elevator operator, Fran Kubelik. Oh, wait, that's our exciting premise. Wackiness ensues. Zany adventures. And depression. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, directed by Billy Wilder. This is, I think, the third time we're talking about a Billy Wilder movie. Yes, this it year. is. We lo- can't get enough of Billy Wilder, apparently. Yeah, it just keeps coming up. Can you blame us? No, don't please <laughs> stop. <laughs> we like got scared. Like, oh no, what if somebody blames us? <laughs> Fuck him. I don't. It is pay our fault. For this podcast. I'm, I'm the one putting these movies, yeah. the programming together. So yeah. I think the thing about it too is that it's so like there was Double Indemnity and Sunset Boulevard. Or, you know, both yeah. both Mars for sure. But this is so far afield mm. from either of those. Yeah. In tone. To that, to your point there, of course, written by Billy Wilder, but. Uh, his co-writer is on, on the serious stuff tends to be Charles Brackett, and on this sure. one, it's I A L Diamond, right. who is his goofy uh, movie writer, S- shenanigans yeah. writer. So okay. like some like it hot and oh okay and the like. Right, <laughs> I A L Diamond sounds like a fake name that Bart would give to Mo over the phone, <laughs> so he'd yell it out and it says something mean. Yeah, it's a weird name. <laughs> he he has a Diamond has a Moldovian first name, which was like really hard to pronounce, so he just went oh, by I A L. Fuck it, but. That's almost harder to, like, I-A-L, Diamond. <laughs> Doesn't roll off the tongue. It does not. No. That's okay. Uh, but I got lots to talk about their writing stuff later, just to give you a little oh, okay. tease. That's a little foreshadowing for this pod. <laughs> and, of course, you've got Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, and Fred McMurray in there, plus a lot of 60s faces. Yes. A lot of very... Aggressively lumpy faces, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, music by Adolf Deutsch, one of the most suspicious names I've ever seen. <laughs> I saw this come up and we were like, so this is just the fake name Hitler gave. Like, I'm Adolf, German guy. Sure you are, Adolf. Uh, but yeah, The Apartment, one of the, like, would you say foundational rom-coms? Would I? Would you? <laughs> I came to this movie so late. It's a favorite of my grandma's and... I had been, we had been kind of sending each other like recommendations over the pandemic. She has amazing recommendations. So we got to have my grandma on the podcast <laughs> as a guest, but this was one of them. And it was always very like, oh, sure, sure. Like a Jack Lemmon thing. Like, you know, there's, there's a bunch of the, like a handful of just cute Jack Lemmon movies. And then I was like, oh, I do really like some like it hot. It's one of my favies. Mm. And so I watched this and I was like, oh, Wow, <laughs> this movie is so sad. Yes. But like really compelling. And so I just didn't think of it as a rom-com at all at the I time because it's it's almost like it's not fun. It like the the relationship. No, 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 the movie but... is fun, but like the relationship <laughs> and the way that they interact and get together isn't fun in that standard way, nope. but it's so much more like it's so much more realistic and there isn't like a meet cute. It's just yeah. the daily like encounters of, of working in the same building as someone. And like, yeah, so it's it's funny for me to try and think of it as a rom-com. I know it is, <laughs> but it's also just like sad romantic rather than comedy romantic. Yeah, it's somehow it's, it's a romantic movie that is full of laughs. But it is not a comedic movie. Like, that's no. just... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got that great thing where, like, it's funny only because life just is funny. It's yes. not... There aren't gags in it, you know? Like, for Baxter, as we're seeing him in his apartment where he's eating his, like, hungry man dinner that he's yeah. made for himself. And he's just, like, he just wants to watch Grand Hotel and it keeps getting interrupted by advertisements. Like, relatable, <laughs> my dude. We all know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> And this is, like, to your point of of being surprised about it on the first Mm go-around, it does, like, I I remember 
watching it and how modern it feels. Like, I know that that's... Totally, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing, is I was expecting, like, a very, you know, not formulaic necessarily, but just a very standard, like, wow, and they're so cute together, this relationship would never work in real life, but this was a fun watch, and it's <laughs> not that at all. Like, were you thinking it was going to be, like, a screwball comedy yeah, type of yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I expected to do. Yeah. Yeah. A dramatic Jack Lemmon is in it. What what did you expect me to think, you know? <laughs> but he's got chops. He does have chops. And he uses them to sing and make spaghetti. And... <laughs> Sometimes at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I Like, the thing that I loved about it every time I've seen it, and I think this was a pre-pandemic thing. I think I remember you getting me to watch this, like, years ago. Mm. Um, but oh, let's not fight about it on mic. It's okay. We'll take it off <laughs> We'll mic. fight about it later. Yeah. <laughs> We'll just okay. very well. You can splice in highlights of that because we'll still do it on mic. But no. we record everything we do in a day. It's <laughs> yeah. very boring, and uh, one of these days you're just gonna get a highlight reel episode of supercut <laughs> me of... making spaghetti, <laughs> <laughs> Nick falling down. Yeah. And I mean, this isn't a new thing. Hot takes of every person who has this take incoming, but it is the like earliest I can think of a mainstream movie showing. Like, here's what city life is like. Boy, is it boring and lonely. Like, right, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, without, like, glamorizing it, or yeah. it's just, it is just is what it is in the city, and, like, having to wait outside the theater for someone in the rain, and yeah. I don't know, it's a very, like, tame example, but, yeah, of, of just, the movie is so focused around, well, like you said, like, it's the, the screwball setup is that, mm. This guy is constantly renting out his apartment to executives in hopes that they'll like like him more and yeah. promote him faster. But so he just can't really live his own life. He's constantly kind of finding the spaces in between other people's lives to just like be at home and eat a meal. Like it feels like he's a screwball character in his like in yeah. his in his just general buffoonery and his energy. But yeah. everybody else is a regular human, so yeah. he's just like ramming into that wall of reality over and over, and just like no, but come on. Yeah. This should be funny but it's actually like quite sad when you think about it so it's a it's an interesting setup yeah and i just want to just because i still thinking about adolf deutsch our, <laughs> sure. our composer over here i love the the music isn't like wildly compelling like it's not wildly inventive or anything it's got a real like and now he goes to the office where it's like hustly bustly music yeah, the and hustle industry bustle of the big city yeah, yeah we're getting things done in corporate america very uh, psa kind of music yes but yeah. then whenever the the saxophone the lonely saxophone yeah. to express his loneliness just pops up every once in a while and yes in the like climactic executive scene where he refuses his key the, just before he does that, the saxophone starts getting mixed into that. It's very oh, like... Oh, does it really? Yeah, just... So charming. It's got this one figure that it plays several times. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It gets it sneaks into the corporate life just before he starts to extract himself from it. Which oh, is a real nice, like, nice little shortcut to drive that emotion home. I love that we love a We love a light motif, yeah. Yes, we do. It's an interesting comparison for the, very much the the hustle bustle office music mm. is very noticeable and almost comical yes because it sounds like it's supposed to be going with a cartoon mm -hmm. but the the at home music and the like waiting outside the apartment and the rain music it's it fades into the experience of the movie it just feels really mm. right and like it's not meant to be noticed it's just what that feeling is you know yeah it's it's much less it's not cartoony at all um, Are you ready for an absolutely insane take on the music now that I'm thinking of it? This feels like, like, bring it on. Heyday of film noir is, you know, 10 years back or whatever, like sure. early 1950s, and we're at like 
the end, not the end of film noir, but the end of like the big heyday of just pumping them the hell out. Yeah. And then there are many neo-noirs that happen, but musically sounds a lot, the, the saxophone sounds a lot like taxi driver music to me. Oh, so this is, you might be right. This is an insane yeah. take. The apartment bridges the musical gap of, of film noir from classics into neo-noir. Taxi driver. <laughs> I'm just going to make that claim. Just going to throw that out there. And no one will ever be able to prove you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's eh, you're you're not wrong. It has that feel to it. Yeah. Like if Baxter were eighty percent more mentally ill, <laughs> we might have Taxi Driver. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If that reality those conditions wall, are the same. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just. He thankfully has a nice elevator operator to turn his attentions on to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Trapped in a taxi all day um, and going to uh, porno theaters. Uh, anyway. <laughs> That's the unrated cut of the apartment. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm going to be thinking about that for a while, actually. That's a weirdly apt comparison. Hot take, but I like it. Thank you so much. Just hot enough, Nick. <laughs> um, but speaking of Baxter, let's talk about Baxter. Love Baxter, the character, the character that is so much of a pushover that he has no say. Like, he is just like, most people call me Bud, and clearly his boss is making fun of him or, like, teasing Buddy him boy. a little. Yeah. yeah. Just... It's, it's a guy who is clearly, from minute one, you can tell that he's been beaten down for so long that now he considers... Like, adhering to that company culture and the sacrifices that you have to make, he considers being able to do those a strength. Yeah. Well, he's he's got, like, I feel like you don't see so much of this expressed in your protagonist, but he is, like, the most bootlickery bootlicker in the, like, just, yeah. yes, sir, thank you for making me sleep outside in the rain. And, yeah. <laughs> like, and he's not, it's not like a, you know, you can only push a guy so far before he snaps, like, of the taxi driver <laughs> thing. He does, like, he, he voices, like, he's annoyed with the executive that made him, like, sleep on a bench because yeah. he came home at, you know, 2 a.m. one time. Uh, like, he, he voices those frustrations, but you can see the mental math of him being like, no, it's good that this is happening because this is even more ammo for me to prove what a good worker I am and they'll have to reward me for it. Like, yeah. he's very much like, I'm going to, if there's no other option for me to do, like, I'm never going to, you know, there are 32,000 people here. I'm never going to distinguish myself in any other way than this. Then I'm going to distinguish the shit out of myself doing this. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. really, he's grabbed onto this as, like, this is my strength. This is my thing. I'm great at this. Like, he's got a real, oh, they they know my phone number. Yeah. Like, and they can call me anytime. Like, there's got to be some weird pride mixed in there, too. Yeah. 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 Like, they think first, they think of me first when they <laughs> need an empty room to be in. Like, yeah, so it's, it's you can tell, he's only working there for what four years or something yeah. but they must have been a rough four years because he is i think he's very aware that there's no other way for any sort of movement like yeah. there's nowhere to go except in this direction yeah and like you see the his working room and it's like yeah that's he's one of uh, does he say how many people are on the floor like he does but i don't remember yeah he does the insurance agent thing of like he spits out a bunch of numbers billy wilder just loves like spitting out a bunch of numbers he loves insurance yeah <laughs> What an odd thing to be. It's fine. It's all right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and just while I'm thinking of it, uh, do you know that 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 room, the reason it looks so big and mm. dwarfing, classic movie magic trick, as you go down the line farther and farther from camera, the desks literally they start 
the not being desks, they start shrinking and getting smaller. <laughs> and toward the back, there's like kids instead of adults at the desks, and there's like cardboard cutouts going into the distance. Oh, amazing! Just to be like, look how look how big this room is. It goes is. back so far. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Classic. Classic. I love a, a kids instead of adults shot. Yep. It's great. Nice. They're just yeah. like us, <laughs> except small. <laughs> They work in offices. Yep. No. <laughs> yeah, Baxter's really good. I, I, he is such a bootlicker, but he's mm. got personality, and you can tell, and you can see him like, you can see him kind of resigned to the fact that he'll never be able to like fully be himself at work. So yeah. he just like ignores that that was ever an option, and just like just goes for the bootlicker route. Yep. And I mean, this is a like. I'm gonna share too much about myself right now, but I find him the most one of the most relatable characters from. Like, quote, classic cinema out there of just like, oh, yeah, I see so much, especially my younger self in there of of somebody who you can see. Yeah, what you're saying, you can see the struggle of like, I know I shouldn't be bootlicking, but it is it is good. It'll get me for it's only temporary. Like a lot of that. Yeah, it's only temporary. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna raz you for that because it is true. Like, it's <laughs> extremely relatable. Everyone in this movie is, even Fred McMurray. You know, like yeah. even the we've the all shitty met people. that guy. Yes, you've all met a Jeff. Yeah, and he is probably running personnel at an insurance company. That's this very moment. <laughs> Yeah, I I uh, do not disagree. One thing... It's very oh sorry. It's just it's very easy to look at yourself in that situation and be like, sure, I'd say yes to that if I thought it was going to be temporary and it was going to get me somewhere. Like, nobody on the planet has not made that decision before. Mm. You you have to. It's the thousand cuts thing of like, well, this isn't yeah. that bad. And then you're sleeping outside on a bench. Yeah. <laughs> then you have pneumonia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say, uh, it's very funny that we're pairing enormously faced Fred McMurray with very tiny faced Jack Lemmon. It's just, it's a very fun <laughs> dichotomy. I enjoy it. I don't know how tall he was, but he seems very short. Oh, Jack Lemmon? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's just like a, like a circus clown kind of a Little beetly guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's precious. Fred McMurray is very big. Yes, we know Large. this. Large. And in charge, technically. He is his boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the tagline for this movie. It's, it's funny. So saying that this feels like a modern movie, mm-hmm. it does. It's got this weird thing going on where I'll get into the reason I think it's a modern movie later. But the it's so grounded in 1959. Like there are every references to something that was actively going on in 1959. Uh, yeah. Like I'm just gonna rattle them off because this is one of those like ooh old timey. It's very fascinating. Sure. Like the Music Man was playing at the Majestic at that period. Sure. TV shows Ed Sullivan, Dinah Shore, Chevy. Show Perry Como's Craft Music Hall, The Untouchables. Those were the right. like the Thursday night lineup. Like oh, that okay. was actively yeah. taking the programming. Oh, that's cute. Um, you're talking about like Cape Canaveral was huge in the news. <laughs> Fidel Castro's revolution gets mentioned a few times. Talking of a beatniks and the one that I looked into because I was like, what the hell is this? I know I know what this means, but um, Jack Lemmon's neighbor's wife, so technically neighbor, yes. Um, <laughs> she so she calls. Jack Lemmon, King Farouk, like he's acting like King Farouk. Oh, right. And what that was that? the Egyptian king who was recently overthrown for being a, like, let them eat, ca- eat cake type. Oh, okay. Like a playboy lifestyle, really huge oh. in the news everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, okay, all right. Just oh. like what what now is an insane reference. <laughs> this is like a mystery science theater, like original yes. version of reference where you're like, where would you even... But it was big at the time. But it just makes me think of, like... It's not that you were trying to make, like, timeless movies 
in old Hollywood, but I can't think of so dating your movie so exactly. And I guess Baxter says, like, it was early November 1959. Like, he says that yeah, at yeah. the very start. So, like, yes, it's dated. But to make it hang on all those references, I don't know. It it wasn't a play first, but it feels like it was a play first, you know? <laughs> you know? A thing you love. Yes, yes, I do love it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's it, it the movie does hang on. Like, the, the story hangs on what it was like to be a yeah. person at that time. So I, I guess that's that's totally fair. You know, we've, we've talked about this as, like... Um, in our Knives Out episode where that's what I was thinking. some of the people are like, man, that's not going to age well. Like, it's not supposed to age well. Yeah. It's just supposed to show, like, the story and those people are people now. Mm-hmm. And you're going to recognize those types of people. The rest, like, the trapping, like, who cares? Ed Sullivan, like, just replace <laughs> that with literally any show. It's, it's fine, right? Yeah. Like, it just adds to the story a bit. Yeah, and things like he's watching his movie night thing and it's... The movies that he flips through, there's Grand Hotel, which is a 1930s movie. Right. And then Stagecoach is on there, which is from uh, 39. And Destry Rides Again, another Western from 1939. Oh, is that what it was? I knew I recognized it. I couldn't tell where from. Uh, But it's this thing like, oh, he's watching old movies on cable. Yeah. (laughs) We're doing that right now. I know. It's just like, (gasps) it's the roughly the equivalent if we were like, oh, it's just, oh, The Matrix is on TV. Yeah, I'll watch that. Totally, yeah. How many times do I just sit down? I'm like, I just don't want to. I'm going to watch The Mummy. I don't want to, like, turn my brain on. Exactly. It's literally exactly that gap. Yes. So yeah. he's just, yeah, he's reliving the childhood movies that yeah. he was watching. Yeah. It's so funny how exact a copy into now city life it is. Uh-huh. And I think that's the thing that feels so odd to me, where, like, it feels like a modern movie in that way, where it's like, oh, yeah, we all do this. And we're all a little insane at home. Um, <laughs> yeah played against the background of like this specific grounding it into the, the past that I never knew. So I mean that's fair. Yeah, yeah. It would be hard to really twig to that unless like my grandma really loves it because those would have been the movies she grew up on, yeah, right? Like exactly. that it, to her is is yes, that's what you do when you're at home. You just like kick back, throw on a comfort movie because you mm-hmm. have seen it twenty times already. Yeah. yeah. But then you get into like what makes it feel modern, which were things that were really pushing the envelope at the time. Like, there is so much adultery shown in this movie. Oh my god, yeah. Which, Mad Men could never. Yeah, like, god damn. <laughs> like, we got to it in, what, 2007, and we were like, do you guys know that they slept around a lot? Like, a lot. Like, they, they did not respect work. women. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. This is me tapping my watch. You can't see it, but... <laughs> we did this 50 years ago. Literally, no. Yeah. It yeah. was already made into a very popular thing at the time. And, of course, Mad Men is the thing that you just one-to-one these bad boys yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. There's that, there's, like, obvious, the huge obvious thing is the depiction of suicide attempt. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you... More than one person. Like, the, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. There's, like, a, you know, on-screen, essentially, suicide attempt. And then (laughs) to get her to open up about it, he talks about, like, yeah, I I tried to kill myself as well because I was so heartbroken and so lonely and I thought it would never get better. And, you know accidentally shot myself in the knee instead of my head and my knee took a year to heal but i was happier in three weeks like i got over the girl in three weeks and just like very candid and you know that's the thing where it's like it is very and even the doctor when he comes in to help out with it he he's not like oh my god he's just like okay this is what we do yeah like it's so ad like i don't even need i barely even need my bag for this let's just get through this this is rote to him like it just paints this picture of like oh that's everybody's got something like this going on and i i only picked it up this time but when they're talking about the doctor when the brother-in-law of shirley mcclain shows up yes they're talking about a doctor and there's a real quick like no 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 not that kind of doctor 
Right. <laughs> that's about abortion that they're yeah, talking what about. Yeah, what did he, he says like, oh, I just, I come around to take care of little problems. And he's mm. like, not, not those kind of problems. Yeah, yeah. it is like a very clear abortion reference, yeah. which like, bleh, that's Well, not... you know, people run around cheating on their wives all the time. like. <laughs> yeah, and doing clandestine just... neighbor doctor visits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the culture. That combined with like, yeah, the neighborhood living, all that stuff is very the. You know what's funny about this movie? It is it it does have these like all of the ills of modern society are yeah. shown, but none of the like I said, it doesn't glamorize. You don't actually see any of the fun stuff. Like he doesn't get to go to the Music Man and see a fun musical in the big city. Yeah, you only see the shitty parts of this kind of of living. Yeah, but it doesn't. That's the thing. It it does only show that, but it also isn't as depressing as it should be for that re- like because if it was no. just showing that i would be like this is a i'm slog. turning this off yeah and i mean argument could be made it's just because jack levin and Sherman mcclade are very charismatic and fun to watch yes but the fact that it's still kind of fun somehow like he has a yeah. really nice relationship with his neighbors and the, the nice, kind of funny yeah <laughs> their dog the nice things that you see are people like connecting with each other yeah. those are the bonuses those are the good things and like you can't it's hard to glamorize that because you can never fully know another person or whatever yeah. but the those those are it's none of the stuff about like oh i get to work in a big office and like cutting with edge children. technology at the time yeah <laughs> the children in the back or or any of this it's it's when you get to connect with other people yeah. is the the benefit it's mm-hmm. the flip side yeah yeah, it's good stuff. I feel like I can't talk with about it without making it sound like an incredibly downer movie, but it's just not, and I can't like articulate why. That's the juice. That's, that's what the special sauce. The Billy Wilder I A L Diamond Juice. God, that's hard to say. I, I like <laughs> what? What was? He, how is that a better name? Um, yeah, this is threading the needle. I think. Like I remember you talking about this off mic. Something about how, like, the characters are drawn that elevate it beyond that depressing stuff. Like, it's yeah. it's not the the dramedy thing of, like, wow, it's really dour. I mean, you find the laughs in it. It is a movie that's funny, that's sad. Like, it's both simultaneously as opposed to trying to yeah. flip between the tones. It's just the tone is that. Yeah, it's yeah. clearly not, like, and now we'll insert a joke. It's just, you know, the actors are good and mm. people are funny and also sad and stupid and... <laughs> Yeah. Like his his executive cadre that he's got doing the scheduling with. We've got his the, little yeah, <laughs> the guy that's always calling him Buddy Boy. Buddy Boy, <laughs> just is a New York stereotype. <laughs> and you've got the guy that's voice is always breaking. Like all these little character ticks that yeah. they're all one dimensional. I don't care. They're still fun. You know what it is too is that there's there are those sort of you have to have those stock kind of stand in characters yeah. to make the plot move along. But the characters that are the movie is actually about they're not one dimensional and they're not put in this like very rote scenario. They're not. Mm. Uh, it would be sad I think if these things were happening to like stock screwball characters so it's just like whoa they don't deserve that <laughs> leave them alone <laughs> they have no agency they can't do anything that's about right this, you're you know trapped I mean? in yeah. this framework <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but there's like a a weird you know quiet dignity to a lot of it that you wouldn't expect from like a rom-com yeah. of of Maybe not of that time, like, but of certainly but a, a couple years about earlier. adultery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. And I haven't, so we've talked lots about Jack Levin, but Shirley MacLaine's character, I, like, I don't know Shirley MacLaine that much. I feel mm. like she's a general blind spot for me. But mm. she's just, like, the most at-ease, charismatic, charming, like, she, I mentioned film noir early on, I feel like the quippiness in this movie feels like it's just one step past film noir. Yeah, it's a little too... 
Yeah, I don't know. It's not... Nobody in this movie is, like, delivering lines to be cool or to come off as cool, even, like, writing them as such. They're just funny characters. Like, they're just funny people. Yeah, they just happen to be cool. Yes. Yeah. She's got a very fun energy in this where it's... I mean, fun. She's obviously, like, so depressed that she no longer has energy to like fake being cheerful she just has the energy to like interact with people on a very real level she's doing the thing that i know i recognize of just like outwardly smiling and happy but then just saying like the most goddamn depressing shit in the world with a (laughs) smile and just like i don't care yeah exactly (laughs) yeah it's just like i no longer care how i come across yeah and but she's just like naturally a nice person and a, a caring person and so that does come across yeah, yeah. just <laughs> giving up on how you're perceived by others fuck it no more energy <laughs> for that and she wears it very well it yeah. does, like the stuff that i think about is um a couple times they talk about her getting a haircut and like fred mcmurray's like i liked it when it was longer and jack lemon's like looks nice whatever yeah and she's just like yeah it's bugging me so i cut it all off yeah. like how many people do you know i know there's two in this room that are both talking to mics that have been like i was just gonna shave my head because i fucking can't yep. god damn it <laughs> yep when i could not afford a hairdresser for a while there i would just like go into the bathroom and be like this looks right and just cut off like an, an acceptable amount to keep myself sane yeah. uh yeah sometimes you just gotta yeah, very relatable stuff. This is the, you know, after a breakup, you get bangs of, like, this is a recognizable oh, thing where true. you're like, I need to have control over something. And it's clear that, like, he, she probably did it to piss him off a little bit, like Fred McMurray's character. Yeah, because he does the, like, I, I like it I long. preferred it longer. And, and she's she, like, I can't remember her line, but she's just like, oh, yeah, no, I know. I know. I'm well aware. Yeah. <laughs> I'm frighteningly aware of it. So it's clearly like, I need I need some control over something in my life. This is what I'm going to do. She does look very cute. Yep. It's a nice yep. haircut for her. Uh, and she, I just like little Hollywood thing. She was like running off to shoot Ocean's Eleven while she was oh. <laughs> here. So she's just like buddies oh, yeah. with the Rat Pack. The Ring-a-Ding-Ding line, that's another 59 thing. Right. That's like, oh, fuck. Was it Sinatra that I always say it? But it was it know. was like a catchphrase of the Rat Pack, basically. Right. So again... <laughs> Little, very timely, yeah. Yep. Okay. Everyone's like, that's that's true to the claim. She knows <gasps> <Yeah>. them. <laughs> Leo pointing dot gif. <laughs> but in 1959, yeah. whatever that probably Frank Sinatra. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Fred McMurray, just to go through, our, like, there's I don't think there's a lot you can say about him other than he's gross. He's yeah. just a gross guy. He's a very he's he's kind of got the same energy as Baxter does in the sense that like. He's mm. doing something he knows is not right. In his case, it's like morally right, you know, as opposed to Baxter's just hurting himself. Yeah. Sheldrake is hurting others. But you can see the justifications going on in real time, and you can tell that he's very practiced at those justifications. Yeah, they've kind of become routine. Yeah. Yeah. And he knows that if he, like, questions it at all, it will all fall apart, so he just never questions it. Because it's going great for him, so why would he question it, right? Yeah, he's, like, at home on Christmas, and he gets this call that, like, you know, from Baxter, who knows that they've been having an affair, and this woman is tried to harm herself and and 
you need i think you should really come down and like see her it would make her feel better which i don't think it would but nope. i'm not a you know <laughs> and he just goes well like i can't it would look it would look bad and like that's bad for her i don't want to make her look bad like this very just it, it so easily comes out of his mouth yeah. like no that's not good for her like i, I can't be doing that you know <laughs> just obviously very practiced at it and... yeah knowing how to make it seem about other people but it's actually about yourself mm-hmm. yep yeah executive speak <laughs> Yes. So I think it is very, like, Baxter's very bootlicky because he's seen this behavior and he knows it works. And oh, do you think he's like, oh, I'm going to become that guy? I think he really uh. wishes he could be. But, like, in a in that weird resentful way where he's like, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to replace this guy. Mm. So just model yourself after that person and then and then get the edge on them. You know? Well, yeah, that would, that lines up with the ending of him getting the, like, the little executive junior office attached to scooty puff junior of of offices yeah uh where he it's not like a carbon copy of fred mcmurray's office but it is laid out the same way probably the same set but just dressed up differently that yeah he's slowly becoming the fred mcmurray and that becomes the like oh fuck you dude yeah But out of, like, personal respect instead of, no, haha, yeah. I achieved your your status. Yeah. Yeah, Fred McMurray in this, super gross. I love that he was just, like, a rom-com guy before, and then he did, was it Double Indemnity yeah, was the first, like, he's great at being a slimeball. He is great at being a slimeball. Very rarely actually a slimeball, though, in movies. Like, these are mm. the two, pretty much. Yeah? Yeah. Great roles. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because he can't, I think he does have... A face that you're like, oh yeah, I could try. He's got like, a, I he's got see bright eyes. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, like yeah, it feels honest, even if what you know he's saying is not honest. Yeah, you know, it's just very sympathetic that way somehow. Yeah, you can see him. You know, he's a salesman in, yeah. in both. For Such sure. a big face. Yeah, <laughs> he's not like handsome enough for you to distrust him. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in in universe, I could see that being the the move. It's like, well, I'm just a guy. <laughs> I'm just a little guy who's enormous. <laughs> a little huge guy. Yeah. Uh, well, I like. What can you say about the apartment? Everybody knows the apartment. Go watch the apartment. Go it's watch just. It. It's great. It's one of those movies that is just perfect, so go watch it then. Yes, do, do it. The shining star for me, personally, is mm. his neighbor, the doctor. I love his neighbor, the doctor, yes. and the doctor's wife very much. The part was written for the doctor, who I re- should have written down his name, but it was a like, hey, you're you're a guy that could uh, like be this exact type of person I need, Yeah. so I'll just write what sounds like you. It's perfect. Yeah. He's very, like, he's nosy in that way where you could you could see it going either way either this guy is annoying or he's concerned and you should let him into your life and apartment and you somehow um, both yeah it's great and so it, 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 is, it is just such a good like apartment living thing of like yeah you're never gonna mesh perfectly with your neighbors mm. it's not physically possible calm down about it like let them be a little annoying because i'm sure you're a little annoying to them it's and fine i mean it's very heavy-handed but clearly very different cultures going on that sure, are intersecting, yeah. which that feels, that's classic melting pot bullshit. Yeah. Love that stuff. That's good. Jack Crustion. Crustion. Nice. Yeah. He's great. He is great. He's wonderful. Love to see him. And his his wife, the perfect busybody. It's great. <laughs> Asking about napkins. Would you have such a thing as a napkin, maybe? <laughs> Just so dis- distasteful. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's great stuff. It, it's hard to say more than just there's a reason everybody loves it. Yeah. That's kind of where it goes. <laughs> Another thing that I think makes it very distinctive to me yeah, is... Yeah, I want to hear more about this. Yeah, it's just, it, it doesn't, like I said, it's not like a screwball comedy thing. And it's not, it is a drama, but it's not a formulaic drama. Yeah. The, the plot kind of doesn't unfold the way you would expect. And the... I find this about Billy Wilder's stuff in general. It's like, there aren't these tent poles that clearly delineate each act. Mm. There there are, but they're not the ones you'd expect. And then the acts don't have the energy that you would expect like, from that, their yeah, place in the movie. I think you read a synopsis and you're like, oh, I know, I know this premise. I get it. And like, yeah. maybe the first act sets everything up like you would expect. And then from there, it deviates so wildly. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, it really does. And so it's it's just really, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh. <laughs> and then the, the second time was kind of like, okay, I totally see how this is, you know, a, kind of an inevitable conclusion to the movie. But it's mm. just such an interesting road to get to there. Yeah. And there's so many little, not, not twists, you know, capital T, but, like, so many twists and turns. And, and even, like... In today's day and age, you can, like you're saying, it's inevitable. You know where it's going sure. and all that. But there's, like, the t- places that should be the temple where you're like, oh, okay, here's the big scene where he tells his boss to stuff it. Or yeah. here's the scene where he professes his love or whatever. It's, I don't know the magic trick that's done where it, you feel the big temple. Like, okay, here's where he stands up to his boss. This is the scene that I was thinking about. Yeah. And it passes in such a way where you're like, oh, he didn't stand up to his boss oh, what are we going to do? And then, like, maybe two or three cuts later, then he does stand up to his boss. Yeah. And like, ah, you did it, but yeah. <laughs> And it just hits so much harder than... Because it just manages to skip the really formulaic way of... of yes getting to it yeah you can yeah. tell someone didn't didn't come in and like we need this to move along faster or yeah like people don't just gather the courage to stand up to their bosses when it's narratively convenient you yeah. know what i mean it's it is very it it's a lot more grounded feeling in that way mm-hmm. and like what that winds up doing is, is the movie's over two hours long and it doesn't feel like no it is the breeziest two-hour movie you will ever watch yeah, yeah. the only the only real sequence that I, I think goes on long on purpose, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't feel, it feels long, but not like, oh my God, I wish they'd <laughs> get off of this already, is when they're trying to kind of revive uh, Fran. And, and Agreed, yeah. Yeah, but that's just such a, like, that's such a big part of the movie where Baxter doesn't really know her. Like, they they agreed to, like, meet for coffee and go to a show because he had an extra ticket one time. They work in the same building. But he's putting in all of this energy and, like, he's putting himself out to his neighbors who, like, they know each other, but they don't have this, like, wonderful relationship. But he's, like, looping in other people and, like, relying on them and leaning on them. And he's putting himself out there for this woman. Like, he he honestly barely knows. He has a crush on her. Yeah. And in a normal movie, that would just be, like, and they're meant to be together forever as a result or whatever. Like, <laughs> I feel like it's, it's such a... He pours so much energy into, like, being there for someone because it's the human thing to do. Yeah. And it's such a crux of the movie you see every like painstaking step that they're trying to take. Like he has to make the coffee and mm-hmm. the, you know, the smelling salts and like marching her back and forth to keep her awake and like, you know, talking to her, getting to talk to them. Just like constantly, like you, this scene must go on for like 15 minutes. And 
it doesn't feel like it's dragging or anything. It's such an emotionally charged part because it's yeah. a great like moment for him to step up. It's and, great that we get to really linger on that. And think about like the, the thing that surprises me about that is how many movies have you seen where there is some sort of self-harm or a suicide attempt or something like that and it's like uh, you know, two and a half minute scene, there's a monologue at the end and that's it. And the fact and, that this is like, yeah. there's a full, probably all in all from beginning of attempt to brother-in-law comes to pick up, it's probably like a full hour of movie. Yeah. That is, and yeah, that's what it fucking takes. <laughs> like It really, like it gets into the, again, just not the narratively convenient beats. I, yeah. I really can't say enough about how much this movie is like, living with people and being alive in the city is just like, getting you know doing the stuff you don't that aren't your favorite things in the whole <laughs> world you just got to take care of each other and yeah. like sometimes that's annoying or it takes a while you just got to sit around who the fuck cares like that's what it is yeah getting, you know the amount of baxter them. just kind of standing uh, away from the doctor wringing his hands and be like oh yeah i gave the coffee like just yeah. being fully useless and just standing around yeah and then in the scenes afterward of him being like, well, you really shouldn't be so hard on Mr. Sheldrake. Like, he's so hard, trying so hard to put space between him and her because he knows he's he can't get in there. Yeah. And that it, yeah, it just adds to all the little heartbreak. It's just so, yeah. It, no one is perfect at doing what they, except the doctor. No one, <laughs> no one is perfect at doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that's fine. And like you help each other get through the times when you're not good at what you're doing so yeah. that later they can help you or or whatever, right? It's Community living, baby. Baby. So I really like that. Just showing like the uncomfortable aftermath of things. Yeah. You know, that nice. is what life is 95% of the time. It's not these big narrative tentpole moments. Yeah. And it's just such a... I don't know that I've ever seen a movie that, that goes into it as well as this one does. I agree with that completely because... I haven't seen every movie, but... Well, I have, so I'm... Oh, so can you tell me? Yeah. A wise Nicholas? <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, I like the movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. Well, would it surprise you to know that I've got some segments for you today? Ooh, it would surprise me in a good way. Starting with, oh God, I don't know what happened to my brain there. I saw a cat. And it, I'm telling you, she's very distracting today. I'm sorry for the editing you're after. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to edit this. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it is time for a classic that we haven't visited in a while. It's time for an injury and destruction roundup. Oh, interesting. Okay. Just a few little ones here. Okay. Uh, I just, you look at a movie like this, it's like, wow, who could get hurt on here? Yeah. Are there any well, sharp edges in this film? Let me tell you. First off, Jack Lemon. He really took the punch from the brother-in-law because he moved one direction when he should have moved the other direction. Oh, no. So that's him taking him in the face and oh, actually boy. falling down. And they're like, yeah, that's a good take. Let's use that. He looks a little stunned afterwards. Jack just got yeah. punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, Jack Lemon also got very sick from the outdoor shooting of him oh, on a bench. Oh, no. And this is like oh, Hollywood story. Who knows? Allegedly. Billy Wilder, between takes, is standing off camera with a, like, squirt bottle of antifreeze, dousing him oh, so that he's not, you know, getting pneumonia. Yeah. Who knows if that's true? Hmm. It's a nice hmm. story, though, isn't it? Sounds like something Billy Wilder would do, so yeah. I'm gonna believe it. Uh, Paul Douglas, who hasn't come up yet, was originally in the Fred McMurray part, but as shooting was about to start, he died of a very sudden heart attack. Oh, shit. So Billy Wilder was like, hey, Fred McMurray, are you doing anything? <laughs> Can you knock it out of the park, please? <laughs> Uh, Shirley MacLaine, and this is why I wanted to move into this segment. Oh in the overdose scene, that is her getting her face slapped the hell out of. Oh. Because, and to your point here, and this is why I think this works so well, Billy Wilder had doctors on scene being like, 
let's film somebody actually recovering from an overdose. Okay. Let's film oh. what that looks like. Let's, we're not cutting any corners. This is like, we want it to be as real as possible. This is the only way it's actually interesting and dramatic to watch. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the doctors were advising, you know, this is what it would be like, doodly doot. Uh, and after they did, you know, filmed a couple shots and they had it in the camera, like, we got it. The doctors were like, it is absolutely perfect, but you are not slapping her anywhere near hard enough. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Shirley's just standing there like, excuse me? What now? They, like, and Ooh, the doctors like, weren't like, do it right. They were saying, if, if you, you want, want this, yeah. it has to be like, you might be causing mild spine injury level of slapping. So they're like, we're not going to do that because Shirley McLean was like swelling and her face was super oh. red. <laughs> Just, Jesus. you know, it's good. It's, it's good fine. It's okay. Because right. it is uncomfortable watching it even. like It's really hard. Yeah. Like you can hear the full contact and it is not the same sound as like a folate in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and finally, this is more of a ego thing than an injury thing but Fred McMurray after this movie premiered he was beaten in the street by a mother who had taken her <gasps> six year old to see the movie because they thought it was going to be like a fun Disney romp Ooh. like you awful awful man you horrid person uh, between the street beating and the hate mail he got he, uh, he vowed never to play a morally bad guy ever again <laughs> That's just that's just a testament to your acting, bro. Yeah, that's, you're really good. But it's we've talked about this all the time. It's the thing where you're like, ah, the actor on screen. I, is... They are just filming this person going about their day. Yeah. So between double indemnity and this, <laughs> just like, toast. He had, I guess, like a nearly twenty year cooling down period from double indemnity. <laughs> Whew. Oh, baby. Oh, that's so funny because didn't he say that double indemnity indemnity was like Billy Wilder taking a chance on him, big chance to like yeah. break him out? Yeah. yeah. Because other than those you got two what you wished for, bud. Yeah, he's just like the goofy guy he's in Screwbully stuff. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> he's doing these two things that get him like hated by society. <laughs> Outcast. Good can't. on mom for just throwing hands. <laughs> she took her six-year-old. Yeah. Ooh. That six-year-old Baby. was bored. <laughs> For sure. Uh, but just getting jeered in the street oh. for being an adulterer is so funny to me. Like, oh my god. <laughs> no wonder studios went to such pains to be like, no, they're married to a very nice lady and I they're mean, very happy. We Meanwhile, make fun of it, but it's very clear why. Like, they yeah. had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Society's brains had not developed enough to separate fact <laughs> from fiction. And Cinema's still very young yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh... So one other fun fact before, just to bridge some segments here. Oh, sure. Okay. So would it surprise you to learn that this film was lauded by Soviet bloc critics as an indictment of the American system and a story that could only happen in a capitalistic city like New York? It would not surprise me, but it is very funny. Yeah, it's just interesting that that's like a thing that came up. Um, (laughs) So Billy Wilder gets flown out to East Berlin for a dinner honoring him and this movie. Which, as uh, Billy Wilder, as a Jewish man who fled uh-huh. the area, kind of weird. Yep. Um, in his speech, Billy Wilder said, quote, This movie could happen anywhere in Hong Kong, Tokyo, Rome, Paris, London. And he went on, on to just like list all these places it could happen. But he said the one place it couldn't happen was Moscow. So when he said that, all of these Germans were like, Yeah, brother, woo, yeah! Like standing ovation yes, immediately. Literally. Oh my god. <laughs> And when eventually he got them to shut up, he said, it's because the reason this picture could not have taken place in Moscow is that in Moscow, nobody owns his own apartment. Ooh! (laughs) And what happened? Grim silence. (laughs) 
<laughs> just pin drop silence. Absolutely. Oh boy. Oh Billy, what are you doing, bud? <laughs> but this movie's basis. So this movie is a very we've talked about a very reality based kind of movie. Sure. So it has a few writing inspirations from real life. Oh boy. The first okay. one that's super fucked up that I'm just gonna blow right past is the uh, plot was based partially on uh, the experience of one of Diamond's friends who had returned home after breaking up with his girlfriend to find his girlfriend had taken an overdose of sleeping pills and had died in his bed. Oh boy. Messed up. And then you're like, I'm gonna write a funny movie about it. <laughs> Japes. Write what you know, I guess. I guess. And the other two uh, writing inspirations bring us to the final segment for today. It's uh, a recent segment that we love. It's time for Hooray for Hollywood. <laughs> okay. Nice <Where>, segue. <laughs> where we're visiting old Hollywood to learn about uh, just general infighting, pettiness, bitchiness, and scandals. <laughs> Whenever Billy Wilder is involved, <laughs> I assume this segment is going to come up. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, so the initial concept for the movie, I think, is very funny. As soon as I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, naturally, that's great. Uh, came from Brief Encounter, the movie Brief Encounter. Oh, sure. Because there's a scene in there where um, Celia Johnson's character meets Trevor Howard's character for a tryst in an apartment. A what? A tryst. I realized as soon as I said it, like, I've not really <laughs> said that so- word out loud before, I guess. I'm so sorry to uh, draw attention to it, but... Uh, yeah, that was just my affected pronunciation of Trist. Uh, that is in an apartment, and these two characters are, like, flirting with the idea of being adulterous. Right. Um, so Billy Wilder was like, what if uh, the story was from the guy who owned that apartment's point of view? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. They go to a friend's apartment because they know he's not going to be there. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Billy, okay. So Brief Encounters from the 40s, Billy Wilder immediately was like, I want to make this movie. Hayes Goat comes along, he can't, so it gets punted down the line until sure. the 60s. But the big thing that I want to talk about today, this film is partially based on a Hollywood scandal from 1951. Ooh. This is one thing that I I think is one of those stories that if you know the apartment, you probably know about. But I find it very interesting, and I take it from your reaction. You don't know about this. I'm curious. Walter Wanger. <laughs> Go on. Grow up. <laughs> I wrote down, pause. <laughs> pause for Aaron to say some stupid shit. <laughs> I'm keeping it to myself. <laughs> it's very mature of you. Thank you. Uh, he was a high-powered film producer of the time. Uh, through his career, he was just like in a lot of stuff. He worked on with like Marx Brothers for Coco Knots, their big movie, mm-hmm. and Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent. He's a producer on oh. that. So he is very famous for working on the 1963 Cleopatra. That was like oh, shit. a okay. huge nightmare. Go read about that if you like uh, learning about production nightmares. <laughs> Um, he was married to actress Joan Bennett. It was his second wife and her third husband. Okay. So this is a real, like, I can't, couldn't figure out if this is a Hollywood, we'll just, like, move Swap. the chess pieces yeah. around to make it good for tabloids or whatever. I don't know. Um, she was famous for being in a lot of Fritz Lang's uh, noir movies as mm. the femme fatale, so... Okay. Uh, she's also in the, do you know about the Dark Shadows TV series in the 60s? Uh, I don't think so. She was one of the leads in that. There okay. were a lot of remakes recently, but it was a TV okay. series. She won like Emmys and stuff for it. Gracious. Uh, or at least was nominated, whatever. Uh, and she had an agent named Jennings Lang. Great agent oh, name. That's, yeah. <laughs> he was born with a Bluetooth attached <laughs> to his ear. Surgically, I assume. Okay. Um, and they had you know, agent-ship uh, relationship since the uh, 1939, I think, when they started out. But they met up a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> they went on long drives in Cadillacs and parked often. Uh-huh. Um, 
if you catch my drift. But Walter Wanger figures this out. So from uh, the biography of Willy Wilder by Ed Sikov, I think is his name. In 1951, producer Walter Wanger discovered that his wife, Joan Bennett, was having an affair with the agent Jennings Lang. Their encounters were brief and frequent when Lang and Bennett weren't meeting clandestinely at vacation spots like New Orleans and the West Indies. They were back in L.A. enjoying weekday quickies at a Beverly Hills apartment otherwise occupied by one of Lang's underlings. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. There you go. So he's literally fucking in an intern's uh, apartment. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Goes on to say, when Wanger found proof of the affair, he did what any crazed cuckold would do. He shot Lang in the balls. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, as one would do. Yep. Oh. Okay. Jennings survived. Uh, Wagner went to jail for four months before returning to... Yep. Four months? He pled insanity, and as that was going to come out, he just said, like, you know what? No, I'm not insane. I throw myself on the mercy I of the court. I wanted to do I it. was just really mad that my wife was fucking a guy for ten years, <laughs> and I kind of lost it. <laughs> I, I... That's true. Oh, my God. So they, yeah, he just then, went to prison for rules. <laughs> but... But then he came back to work and cranked out a bunch of prison movies, like Riot in Cell Block 11 from Don Siegel. He produced that. Oh, okay. And I Want to Live, an anti-capital punishment movie that sounds like the fake movie from Robert Altman's The Player. It is the exact oh! plot of that move, that oh, fake no. movie. Um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, which is absolutely wild. Uh, but Bennett and Wanger stayed married. They got uh-huh. divorced in 1965, oh. 14 years later. Why would you hang on at that point? They could have gone to see the apartment together. Ooh. In theaters. Oh, boy. <laughs> the most uncomfortable. It's those two and that mom and her six-year-old kid <laughs> just having the worst fucking time in a theater. Oh, uh, the mom is beating yeah. Fred McMurray with a purse <laughs> while Wanger is shooting people in the balls. Wanger is shooting people in the balls. I get it. Uh, couldn't couldn't make that movie any yep. sillier than real life. Yep, yep. How come? Okay, what I was so mad is a defense in that, court. Like, he, it's a, it's a. I don't think that you often get to say this literally. He threw himself on the mercy of the court. He just yeah. said like, yeah, I did it. I was mad. I'm real. I don't like I that. I wish I, did. I hadn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they believed him. <laughs> Your Honor, I was too sad. Yeah, okay. but like his career after that is just like. Movies about how criminals aren't that bad, like or like falsely accused stuff. Right, and you can get into the prison system for any any old thing, like shooting someone directly yeah. in the balls. Sure, yeah, <laughs> so universal an experience. Yeah. But literally, like a lot of the things that take an inside look at prisons as prisoners as real human beings came about because of this guy shooting his agent in the balls. And like what? I'm just gonna keep saying I'm it. Right? You have to keep repeating it. For four months, too. Like, do you I think know. he came out with, like, a real... Like, do you think he got a teardrop tattoo in there and was trying to be, like, real? It feels like a, I went to Italy kind of thing. Yeah. Of, like, well, when I was in prison, I, I heard I about... I Barcelona. <laughs> I mean, uh, good for him. Yeah, write what you know, right? Yeah. This man knows blowing people's balls off with a gun. <laughs> All right. Wanger. Weirdly, they didn't go with a tagline, like, it's a ball-blowingly good time or anything like no that. No one would ever go with that. That's not a thing. You want to know a really weird thing, though? Uh-oh. The tagline for this movie. The, what movie? Uh, the Apartment. Oh, great. Uh, going back to The Apartment. For okay, right, yeah. Photos of them. Uh, but before we get there, there was another movie from 1950, mine, 
1959 from uh, Joseph Mankiewicz called okay. Suddenly Last Summer. Oh, sure. And uh, it's a movie about a woman going insane from witnessing a murder and has, like, lobotomies and stuff in it. It's very of its time okay. in that way. Yeah. The tagline was, she knew she was being used for something evil. And for some reason, the tagline for the apartment is, suddenly last winter, he knew his apartment was being used for something evil. <laughs> I don't know. Billy Wilder is the king of just like, that tagline's pretty good. I'm going to steal I it. I think I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say evil or Wally. any, oh, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Billy's such a just little petty dumbass. Yeah, he is. He's just, Ugh. yeah, he is. He is old Hollywood. Yes. We love him, but he's also a jackass. But we love him. But, <laughs> but we do love him. But boy, would I not want to have him in charge of anything <laughs> ever again. And I'll close our Hooray oh. for Hollywood segment with, of course, mentioning that Billy Wilder uh, references his own fucking movie in this movie of The Lost Weekend. At one point. Oh, yeah, that's right. I re- <laughs> yes, they're talking about how Fran, like, hasn't come out of Baxter's apartment. And, yeah. and they're talking about, oh, little Tristan. They're like, no, it's a whole lost weekend. And I got my brain in the back of my head. My brain just went, wait, flag on the play. And the way that he says the line, it's like he's pronouncing it with italics and yeah. looking to the camera, even though he's not doing either Wink. of those things. Yeah. It's just such a, so funny. What a bold little bitchy man. Yeah, I love yeah. him. It's great. <laughs> and that's it for Hooray for Hollywood. And uh, that's all I've brought for us for the apartment for this week. That's all. Four segments and a bunch of research. That's fine. I just brought my vibes. Well, that's okay. It's a, uh, if nothing else we can say for this episode, it's a ball-blowingly good time. <laughs> that's good. Oh. Yeah, it's going to be the time. I'm picturing it now. <laughs> yep. But so this one, explicit. This. <laughs> the word ball isn't explicit. I'm having a ball. I got shot in the balls. <laughs> Those are the two examples I can Those think of. Those are the two. Those are the two things you can say. Okay, we got to move on. Being such a child. <laughs> and you were worried wanger was going to be too much for me to handle instead of anything that comes after that. Okay. Can I tell you something hilarious? Yes. I didn't put together wanger and ball really? until we started talking. Then why did you write in to pause so I could get out my stupid... Because his name's Wanger. <laughs> I'm a child. I'm sorry. Oh my god. Uh, oh, I'm glad we could go on that journey together. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Please save us and tell me your final thoughts on Billy Wilder's The I'm Apartment. taking the reins. My final thoughts are that it's great because it is not a formulaic rom-com nor drama, nor is it exactly anti-formulaic, but it's mm. just so... It, it puts a lens on those times that movies are not interested in showing you generally. Mm. Yeah. And certainly movies of, of that, like, that approach where it's like... Two people just can't quite make it work mm. is is what the movie is. But all of the uncomfortable and sad and embarrassing moments <laughs> are the focus of the movie, like, yeah. by far. And it's somehow much more, like, funny and sweet and, and sad than any setup could ever be. Just seeing people, like, struggling through and trying their best or deciding not to try their best because who the fuck cares anymore, right? Yeah. They're not, you know, plucky. They're just there. And so are most of us. Strickland's the vast majority. a little plucky. He's sort of plucky, but he's gotten kind of in the wrong direction with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And just deciding like, okay, I'm just going to carve out this one thing that's important to me. Because that is all you can do. Mm, and, yeah. you, you know, it can be a big stand or it can just be like, no, thank you. I'm I'm extricating myself from this. and Very choose your battle type of approach. Yeah. yeah. And just like, take, like playing with stakes, like taking your stakes down a notch to just be like, okay, you know, there are 35,000 of us in this building alone. I'm never going to be top dog. I have to a be okay with that, even though everything around me says I I should aspire to that. Yeah. And b like then once I've taken my sights off that, where where are the little moments that I should really dig into and experience being alive? <laughs> yeah, and it's just such a like the characters are so much more relatable, which I know is just a word that you know means yeah. they were good or whatever. <laughs> but genuinely, like you you've been that person, or you've known that person, or you could very well you will probably be that person in the future. And uh, it's such a timeless movie as a result. It's mm-hmm. funny. It's like very modern, almost to a fault. Uh, but that's that's also a strength of it. Yeah, it's funny. It is simultaneously incredibly timely. And because of that, it becomes timeless. It's weird. It's kinda, yeah, it's yeah. almost it's focusing so hard on like, this is what this is what modern life is like that you're like, OK, back off. But then it, <laughs> you do recognize all of those pieces still, you know, 60 years later. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my thoughts. It's nice. good. It is good. It follows the grand Christmas tradition <laughs> of being incredibly sad and just showing the shitty parts of life and why those are good to go through. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, sister. <laughs> Over to you. Okay. Well, I, yeah, the, I mentioned already that the like lonely city life portrayal is perfect to mm-hmm. me. And it's because of the characters, like all, all the stuff that we've been saying. It's, yeah, Rare Little Movie can be so touching and deep while simultaneously being superficial. Like, it's not trying to mm. dig beneath the the surface at all. It's just showing you, it's showing you what's beneath the surface, I guess, is kind of what's going on. Yeah, it's like, not like blowing wide open some like hidden thing. It's just there. Yeah, and somehow that is a thing that you can watch your, with your whole family. Like, this is a movie you can, <laughs> as you've been saying, sit down with grandma and watch. Like, yeah. that, Often might not be the case for like a dramatic romance movie or I know f- it depends on your family, I guess. But. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> There's so many things in this movie that almost cross the line into creepy, like Jack Lemmon knowing <laughs> all of Shirley, Shirley MacLaine's like personnel file is when he starts going into it is creepy and you can tell that she doesn't mind that much. And that's the only reason it's mildly okay. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they're... Are four guys fucking in one bed, and like he's not changed the sheets. I don't no, think. I, this, he's not home to do laundry. What is going on in there? Uh, but it manages to take all these things and make it not creepy and gross somehow. It's just yeah. again writing magic tricks. I just love all that. Nice. So let's uh, take all these thoughts and double bill this bad boy for this week. Let's double bill the apartment. Let's make it a duplex. I can't think. I'm trying to think of a way to. <laughs> not in Toronto. We won't. No, no, no. <laughs> not allowed. <laughs> a lot of housing stuff in the news. Zoning joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so please take us away with your uh, double bill for the apartment. Here we go. So I'm going with a... It's not that this movie I'm pairing it with is trashy or like 
gross or, you know, the kind of like fun, yucky movie that okay. we like to pair with. It's not trashy. Okay. But it is, it's a, it's just a very kind of polar opposite genre. But they're telling the same story and they're both by directors that are really, really great at just these like really nitty gritty, uncomfortable like how people relate to each other okay. and that's their whole body of work in some format or another hmm. which is really cool um i'm going to pair it with blade runner 2049 <laughs> by denis villeneuve which to uh, me like i watched it and i was like this is just a guy who lives you know leaving aside what or who he is he's just a guy who lives in an apartment in the city and only like has the tv or like the yeah. programmable companion to interact with and how healthy is that and when he sees other people kind of having these relationships that he wishes he could have what that the chain of events that that kind of sets off you know truly just an addition to the Dave Bautista and Tiny Glasses canon (laughs) an amazing role um there's no direct correlation for that in this movie, but he just realizes like I I've been taking the wrong approach to try and like find meaning in my life. Yeah, because they're both trying to do it through their work. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And just being like, but that's not actually life. The things that you, the people that you talk to, and the things that happen to you at work could oh be like, God. but like, yeah, right. And like unexpectedly violent sometimes, or like you know harmful, literally physically harmful to people. <laughs> and in the end. You know, uh, it's just, like, about making connections with people and in that very hyper-urban, you know, for the time, for 1960, like, a building that you have to, you have to schedule your elevator runs so that you can transport that many people. Like, that's a sci-fi thing for sure. Like, planning, you know, you all have to cram into this one elevator at a very specific time to get down 20 floors or... A hundred floors or whatever. Is that a thing that actually happened, or do you think that that's a comment on no, the, I think the that's, cogs of yeah, yeah, uh, that's messed up. Yeah, that's why elevator operators were were there, right? Yeah, is that you yeah. couldn't just fuck with the the elevator because they had to transport so many people and go in shifts, and that's a very like sci-fi dystopian kind of thing. And yeah. it feels very separate. Like the apartment is this very kind of you know cozy domestic feeling kind of thing because Mm -hmm. it is about like it revolves around literally the apartment where this guy's like central home life is supposed to be and what's missing from that and Mm -hmm. and the ways in which he's trying to enrich it and coming up against this like oh i have no practice having a rich life and and how he sets out to try and like fix that yeah just making the attempts but not knowing if it's a good thing (laughs) yeah like there's no direction to it it's just i got mine so fuck you and like seeing an alternative to that and being like Oh, everything I was doing is not is not going to get me to where I want to be. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, that's such an insane combination. But it, yeah, it's <laughs> I, perfect. It's perfect. I honestly think if you yeah. were like, oh, the apartment, like black and white. If you enjoyed Blade Runner twenty forty nine, watch the apartment and just be like, you know, it's a little goofier, but yeah. not that much, and you'll get that same sort of like really. Uh, just a man in crisis kind of like slow crisis feeling to it and it's very grounded in like what could have been and kind of wasting your life and those sorts of things and 
Yeah, it's I'm, they're they're weirdly similar yeah. vibes. I'm picturing the guy that loves Blade Runner 2049, and somebody's like, "You should watch The Apartment if you really like that." And they don't know what it is, and like, "Okay, yeah, let's see." And just be like, <laughs> "Honestly, oh. yeah, honestly, I encourage it." <laughs> so we've got one like very you know black and white, like serious subject matter, and then very sleek like sci-fi fun. You know, there are laser guns in it, <laughs> but they're kind of the same movie. Yep, they definitely are. Yeah, the laser guns are our feelings. Oh, <laughs> so true. And they'll blow your balls off. <laughs> it's all coming back. Oh, God, we are going to have to name the episode this, aren't we? Oh, boy. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. I also couldn't think of a good title for it, so over to you. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Lasers and feelings. There you go. No. <laughs> the lasers are their feelings. <laughs> the bones are their money. <laughs> and other references like this. Uh, for my part, I'm definitely not overthinking it. I'm glad that you have the, like, real high concept one this time. Because I'm just going to pair The Apartment with the only other movie for me that hits the sweet spot in terms of just showing, like, insanely psychotic loneliness of service industry workers. Love triangles with men who aren't as desirable as you initially think they are. It goes through the holiday stretch of pre-Christmas to after New Year's. Uh, there's a premise that should be inherently super creepy, but is charming somehow. Okay. Shouldn't be. Uh, and there's a major medical issue where someone's unconscious for a long period of time. I am, of course, speaking of While You Were Sleeping from 1995. Your face. Do you know this movie? Uh-uh. Oh, I mean, this is, this is a 90s piece of, like, rom-com, churn it out kind of thing. <laughs> okay. We've got Sandra Bullock. We've got Bill Pullman. Oh, wait, I do know this movie. Peter Boyle, Peter Gallagher. Those are our main Armenies okay. in the cast. Right. I've never seen this, but I think I know. Run, run me through it. This was a classic, like, on cable all the time when I was growing yeah? up. Okay. So, like, saw it constantly. <laughs> okay. So it is just, like, I it's I got... You got core memories of... of... I, I have Orange County stuck in my head. Clockwork Orange. Uh, I got, <laughs> this movie was Clockwork Oranged into me. Got it. Um... <laughs> So sorry for your childhood. So short, short sum up. A transit worker pulls, this is Sandra Bullock is a transit worker. Okay. She's bored and lonely. Uh, she sees Peter, a guy that she has a huge crush on that buys tickets from her every day. Okay. He gets mugged and thrown on the rails of a train and she saves him, okay. but he's super injured, goes into a coma and like goes with him to the hospital because she's got her big crush on him. And the family shows up. And they're all like, who's this woman? And da, 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 da. and under her breath, she says like, oh, God, I want to marry him. And they're like, oh, you're his fiance. And so. <laughs> what an insane thing to say. Yeah, it's uh, it's a miscommunication and hilarity ensues. Yep. As he wakes up and she convinces him that he has amnesia. He, right. <laughs> and they get to know each other. But then the big thing is she realizes that Peter is not actually a nice guy. She was He was this just like sleazy hottie. That was just wandering around. A real Fred McMurray type. <laughs> I've always said this about Fred McMurray. And she falls in love with the brother, who is played by Bill Pullman. Oh, okay. A real okay. Jack Lemmon type. <laughs> oh, I can see it. Yes. But yeah. if you go through reviews of this, it's just people commenting on how much they love Bill Pullman's butt in 90s jeans and has got oh. like Timberland boots on. It's very for the female gaze. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 90s cut butts and uh, Timberlands. Yeah, okay. 90s cut butts. Cut butts. But so yes, this hits in a very sweet spot of rom-coms for me where it's, it is just a like, hey, we, we're going to throw Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman in a movie. 
We don't care what the hell it is. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. just a rom-com that we're throwing out there. Yeah. Before it became the Hallmark machine of churning it out. So it's got yeah. like real unique stuff. of like It takes place over the holidays. You're going through okay. Christmas shopping. You're going through New Year's. But it's all to portray the community aspects of mm. it in the same way that like a big thing about the apartment is it's the holidays. You're seeing some people have their Christmases with their family. And you're seeing Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine be sad in an apartment like yeah, it's yeah. the juxtaposition of that is very much on purpose and you get that through this where sandra bullock is this person who has nobody in her life she has mm. no family she has no friends and she is slowly becoming part of this family and she's got a big i can't remember what happens in the mall because i haven't seen this movie in probably 20 years but the she goes on about how she falls in love with the family first and then she realizes that she loves Bill Pullman's character. Sure, sure. So it's this like, oh, I'm falling in love with the idea of community and yeah. all of this through the holidays. I'm realizing what I could have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so there's all these like underpinnings and things. But mostly I remember Sandra Bullock doing the Sandra Bullock thing so perfectly of like she, she's got the like the charm of like it feels Shirley MacLaine-ish to me where it's like here is this wry person who has a very sad life and it's just like <laughs> yeah. really kind of witty about it but eventually has a breakthrough and kind of moves on through it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good... They have very similar energy, like, specifically in this movie, too, where it's just like, man, you're so, like, cool and funny, but you're so sad. Yeah, and like, why yeah. do I want to be like you? Yeah. You shouldn't want this. <laughs> I don't enjoy your life. Yeah. Yes. Nice, so okay. Nice, trashy... 90s rom-com that set it sounds like one of those movies where they came up with the premise first and then oh. just like like you said just slotted in whoever was hot yeah. yeah they were like okay what if what if he's in a coma it's called while you were sleeping we can figure the rest out later yeah. i can see a real sandra bullock type in uh, here like that type of yeah yeah <laughs> and then it cuts to sandra bullock on the first day of shooting yep. yeah <laughs> amazing yeah oh that's trash that's good solid like nutritious trash and like i legitimately love it like i know it's not a great movie yeah and i mean hey Mar- but like it is so entertaining everybody's so charismatic and fun in it Sandra Bullock's all clumsy and we love stuff her. And yeah if you movie- like it it's a good movie to you yeah a movie about transit workers we need more of them that's <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah service workers big yep. focus of the double bill big big focus yep nice yeah well done well done well we did it that's the apartment a little housekeeping as we wrap up here this will be uh we're gonna take a little break for the holidays because listener we are sleepy (laughs) i'm so tired uh yeah it's just a busy time of year so we're just gonna take a little bit of time off so we can come back hooting and hollering for the new year fresh yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there will be hooting and hollering well yeah it's the new year you hoot and holler oh yeah bro you're blowing a fucking kazoo and whatever and (laughs) you're blowing some balls off (laughs) You've now ruined my brain. <laughs> no. Please uh, find us and uh, at Garbage Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for the holidays. We'll just be recapping some of our memories of the year, I think, yeah. uh, as we go through stuff. And with that in mind, I hope that you'll come back next year for another pile of garbage. <laughs> One of us should harmonize, no? I <laughs> somebody nice like you yeah well that's the way it crumbles cookie wise go to sleep <laughs> <laughs>